In many ways, the economic crisis that has followed the COVID-19 pandemic has also been a real estate crisis. Offices, stores, restaurants, and hotels have all been shuttered to contain the virus. Rents have gone unpaid, mortgages have entered delinquency, and uncertainty abounds about investments once seen as recession-proof. Meanwhile, what remains of the economy has largely lived on screens. FaceTime phone calls, Zoom meetings, Netflix binge sessions, and Amazon shopping carts have all become staples of daily life. And while these services seem to materialize out of thin air, they too have a real estate component. These platforms and the information they generate live in data centers, large, super-powered warehouses that play an integral role in keeping the digital economy afloat. So, can these properties also be a lifeline for private real estate? I'm Kyle Campbell, reporting for PERE, and this is Spotlight. Data centers have thrived since the onset of the pandemic. Equinix and Digital Real Estate Trust, the two largest data center REITs globally, have seen stock prices climb since the beginning of March. Meanwhile, Simon Property Group, the premier mall owner in the U.S., has seen its stock price fall by nearly 50% since the shutdown. Even Prologis, the logistics specialist, has seen its valuation stagnate. Yet data centers have long fared better on public markets than private. There are very few private operators of any significant size. And that trend seems to be continuing. That's Jeff Canney, chief executive of National Real Estate Advisors, an investment subsidiary of the U.S. Electrical Workers' Pension. There have become more and more barriers to entry to anybody who wants to get into this space as a developer because it's extremely high, very costly to do these things. It's hard to find appropriate locations for this kind of thing. Most importantly, if you don't have a stellar operating history, nobody's going to be your tenant. Uh, and if you only have one or two buildings, you're only going to get a tenant if they have some truly specialized use. Uh, and those opportunities, I think, are becoming fewer and fewer as the public companies and companies like our company are able to stretch across the country and build wherever we, we think it's an appropriate place to build. With close to two dozen data centers across six campuses, National Real Estate Advisors is one of the biggest private owners of data centers in the U.S. It's also among the longest tenured investors in the space, thanks to a decade-old partnership with Sabi Data Centers, a Seattle-based owner, operator, and developer. Until recently, Caney said, many of his peers have been too intimidated to venture into this market. It's only been within the last three or four years that real estate investors have been willing, in the main, I should say, have been willing to really figure out what is a data center? What is going on there? I think for most people, they hear data center, they hear, oh, high technology, coding, sophisticated computers. We don't know anything about that. That's not the business we're in. But due to the growth of data center business and its notoriety, people are finally starting to do the work and figuring out, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. We're not betting on a software program. Instead of people or goods, data centers are used to house servers, thousands upon thousands of black boxes wired together and loaded into racks. There are a few different data center business models, but in all cases, it's the owner's responsibility to keep the lights on, the temperature controlled, and the data flowing without interruption. This makes cheap electricity, strong fiber connections, and ample land tantamount to success. Once Caney figured out these necessary ingredients, the next challenge became finding a partner willing to meet him on the same level. There was tremendous disaggregation in the industry. There weren't that many people to talk to. And 
most of them understood what they had and saw that there was huge growth. Some had bigger ambitions than others, but most of them did not want an equity investment from us. And they certainly didn't want an equity investment at the platform level. They wanted to sell parts of a data center at most, but most of them really didn't want equity. They wanted debt. And we wanted to be invested at the platform level on an equity basis. So we, we struggled for a few years. In 2010, they found the alignment they were looking for with SABI. Together, they executed new developments in Washington State and Northern Virginia, as well as a value-add acquisition in New York. But such arrangements are few and far between. Large public companies still dominate the space. And while some will bring in institutional money to recapitalize, there are a few opportunities for private investors to enter data center deals at the ground level. An investor who wants to invest at the platform level in equity has two choices. They can invest in a public company or they can try to find private company of institutional quality that they can invest in. There aren't very many opportunities to do that. The industry is changing, though. The digital asset sector is still relatively new, dating back to the 1990s. Mark Ganzi, chief executive of Digital Bridge, a Florida-based telecommunications infrastructure company, says data centers and other digital assets have cycled through a number of preferred capital structures over the years. I think the evolution of the investor or institutional investors in digital infrastructure has been a, a pretty interesting arc. I mean, it's coming up on you know 26 years now where the sector has, from an institutional investor perspective, has transitioned from venture to private equity to infra to direct investing. The next stage of the sector's evolution is unfolding now. In 2018, Digital Bridge partnered with LA-based Colony Capital to raise the first commingled fund dedicated exclusively to digital supportive infrastructure, assets such as data centers, cell towers, and fiber networks. The fund, Digital Colony Partners, closed on $4 billion last year. So we've made you know, 10 investments out of the fund. And I would say that that experience went so well that we made the decision to merge our investment management businesses. So taking the legacy colony, you know, real estate, private equity and private debt platforms and merging it with Digital Bridges, digital infrastructure focus. And now today you have a $23 billion AUM business that's the largest digital real estate manager of its kind in the world and uh, poised to continue to grow as we continue to form capital and we continue to execute new ideas. So what started off as a partnership joint venture has evolved into a migration and retransformation of Colony as a traditional real estate investor into sort of the next generation, you know, digital real estate investor. And that's the transformation and pivot that Colony is undergoing right now. While fiber lines and cell towers might seem like unnatural fits for a real estate portfolio, Gansey says leasing structures for these assets are similar, making the fund an option for both real estate and infrastructure investors. The tenant landlord structure that exists in digital real estate is no different than commercial real estate. So those businesses, you know, have similar leasing structures that a commercial office building would have or an industrial project or a retail project, which is you have a tenant, they enter into, you know, a long-term lease. And along that lease, there can be expense recovery, similar to, you know, cam charges in office buildings, uh, recovering for stuff like utilities and real estate taxes. And then like a, like a traditional space lease, there's an escalator that sometimes tracks to a, some sort of cost of uh, living adjustment or CPI or fixed increase. But the structural framework of the sector today, Kyle, looks just like any other real estate sector, which is that relationship between landlord and tenant is sort of the fundamental premise. Duration of the lease, 
cost recovery, escalators, CAM charges, TI fit-out, which would be, you know, perhaps a CapEx reimbursement on the front end from a customer to the landlord to defray some of the rent. Uh, it's actually a very comparable structure to traditional real estate. National Real Estate Advisors hopes to launch a fund of its own in the coming months. Caney said the group is working on an open-end structure through which investors can get exposure to its existing assets while financing future expansion. The fund will add a source for equity capital to complement National's $800 million credit facility, which it raised last month by selling asset-backed securities. So it gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of financing our ongoing development, which is, for us, we're finally getting, we're getting to a point where we feel like we're putting in place two funding mechanisms, the fund we're going to set up plus this asset-backed security issue that will let us fund new developments for the foreseeable future without going public, yeah. which is not something, we want, not something we want to do. A decade ago, Caney found it nearly impossible to secure a construction loan for a data center. Now, his firm can issue bonds with A-plus credit ratings. The sector has matured in recent years, and that evolution is likely to carry through COVID-19, with a growing menu of options for institutional capital to access this space. And, as private real estate looks to return to a market ravaged by the virus, data centers are now an alternative that is more viable and more visible than ever. People are finally, they're finally starting to understand uh, what this is all about. And of course, if you didn't understand the value of the internet before this crisis, you, know, you should understand it now or you never will. That's all for today. For more on this topic, see our May 2020 cover, Digital Real Estate, The Next Frontier. To hear more episodes of Spotlight, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and PEI's various titles online. For PERE, I'm Kyle Campbell. Thanks for listening.